0: how's
1: that episode lights out podcast everybody usual suspects are here uh we got miguel we got mike and we're gonna have a special guest today we're gonna have the one and only boss root now if you don't know who he is Get out! You're not allowed to listen no. uh, talk to us yeah. anymore. Um, uh, but man, but you uh, try to like and subscribe anyway. But yeah, yeah, like it and subscribe <laughs> and watch it, heard about it. Great! Um, he was a UFC champ. He was a Pancrase champ. Uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal fighter. One of the most gifted guys I think we've ever had. Um, if you watch my uh, previous, we talk about Hall of Fame. He was one of my the likes out Hall of Fame because I only put real people in there who, who were uh, just the best in the world at their at the time. Um, So we're going to go over a lot of stuff we're going to talk to him about his days in Pancras, Roy lived in a fight like this, his UFC days, some wild stories. Um, Well, I can't be more excited about you guys.
0: Well, here, Chris, this is like, you know, to recap, um, I think we got real nerdy on this interview. We went real Star Wars-y with a lot of our stuff. Like, I think probably 90% of the MMA community might get lost a little bit, but it's real interesting things. But I think his revelations about Mark Kerr are. Uh, I think it's gonna get us some some views.
2: <laughs> well, oh. I mean, the bottom line is his boss been around the world with this game. You know, he's one of the first true superstars of MMA. So, of course, he's a cartoon character. I, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm so happy to you know get connect with him again and interview with him, and you know, since. Uh, you know we're interviewing the thing you know it's like he's it's like i never you know i haven't seen him in 20 years it's like I, he looks the same he's still like completely affable and and has his wits about him and stuff he's still a true superstar
1: so hey, i'm really you know excited
0: what? <laughs> what we forgot to do chris what's the name of the documentary that he came on the plug
1: oh yeah okay yeah <laughs> we, we were uh the Pank race, a hybrid history so You know, boss is a a big part of what we're doing there with with that. We're trying to revitalize some information and and some knowledge about pancreas because, like we keep saying, I've said this in other things we've done, was uh, Pancrase was doing mixed martial arts before people knew what that was. I mean, when the UFC first came out, it was just karate versus boxing versus sumo wrestling, who knows any discipline of martial arts. But Pancrase was already a mixture of them. So that's why like so many pancreas fighters became ufc champ and did so well right away because they're like we've already been doing this like you guys are five steps behind us and it wasn't for years until the ufc actually developed to mixed martial arts however it was already being done people didn't realize at the time so um you know boss is kind of helping us go back uh, with a, a hybrid history pancreas a hybrid history and learn that this was actually like the the, the the parents, you could say, to to the UFC. This was true, or the parents, you could say, to, to mixed martial arts. It was the first time it was really done in my opinion. Yeah, and, That's there's,
2: cool. and there's some yeah. talk of, you know, Pancras coming to the States with some forms of it. We actually got to talk to Boss about the old rules they used to compete with with the open hands. Gotten a lot of nuances there with him on that. And, uh, you know, talked about the potential for that type of rule, maybe to make a, a return here in terms of, uh, you know, there's a there's room for the audience and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you look at it with a technical, from a technical standpoint, uh, it, it may be ready for it. So Pancrase, there's a lot to talk about there, but we're going to cut off here and go right to the Boss Root interview.
1: Okay, back here at the Lights Out podcast. We are very fortunate today to have a legend of the sport. Uh, I, I think you guys notice if you look into my Hall of Fame that we have our own Hall of Fame. Uh, Boss was one of my people, uh, just because what he's done to, uh, is just amazing to me. I've never seen a guy win their last 22 in a row. Uh, that's phenomenal. Uh, I think once this guy really figured out how to fight, he was unstoppable. So uh, the one and only Boss Rutten, how you doing, bud? Good, good uh, to have you on.
3: Freaking awesome, Chris. Now I'll see you twice in two weeks, within
1: two weeks. It's amazing. <laughs> hey, and I'm going to see you, like, next week, too. Hey, Again, yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm leaving Friday. Okay, cool. Right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, cool. Um, you know, I got a ton of questions for you. i sure so the people here were trying to get, you know, the fight nerds who want to see all about the, the backstories of everything. You're looking at your record. You started off, you were a striker, correct? Coming in from Holland, great striker, going over to Japan. And most of your professional fights were against nothing but high, high level competition. Starting off, I would have to think you weren't quite as skilled on the ground. You got submitted some. What did you? What did you do then? Because you became phenomenal on the ground. How did you change and became so technical and so good on the ground?
3: You know what? Th- this is really cool. Actually, I uh, I, I just told myself. You know, I uh, I was um, <laughs> one day. I was suddenly uh, I realized after my last loss against Ken Shamrock. That's when I said to myself, okay, it's either I'm going to learn this game because I didn't like it. Somehow I didn't like it. But I either going to learn it or I'm going to stop because. I might get lucky and become a champion one time, but then maybe next time I lose the championship because of a submission, it would be stupid. You know, that's not what a mixed martial artist is. So I started being vocal because in Holland, it's very easy. I didn't have anybody to train with. So every gym I went, I would ask, ask everybody if somebody wanted to train with me. And this one guy, Leon Van Dijk. he said he was 19 at the time, super strong, really good kickboxer. And, you know, he picked up things fast as well. And I said, listen, I need somebody to roll with. And we started rolling together. And we're just watching fights, watching DVDs, watching instructionals, they go, oh, I'm going to try that on him. But then we realized a lot of these, they had a lot of holes in them, like a heel hook. gets at ah, wait, I can easily escape this like that. Okay, so how can we stop that? Oh, would I do this, but wait a minute, if I do this, I can do this. And then it became an obsession. And suddenly I realized, wait a minute, if I create like four or five different setups for one submission and I am still bouncing back and forth, eventually one is going to hit. Oh, wait a minute. What if I escape in a reverse? I go immediately into a counterattack. Oh, that would be great because then the people are still with their mind. That, oh, shit, you just reverse, boom. And then right away go in a counterattack. That's a moment that you can use for your advantage. And I mean, I, I submitted my wife in the middle of the night six, seven times. <laughs> I swear to God, woke her up. I would, put, because I would dream submissions. My whole house was full of little post-its and combinations and, and setups and constantly. And Leon... Like, I, I, I give a very simple example. I'm a found chicken, <coughs> I hook the arm and I go for a straight arm, arm. Well, I do this twice with Leon, that's not going to work anymore. He knows his setup. Yeah. I needed to create a new setup. Then boom, yeah. boom, I do that two times, he knows that setup. So this way, suddenly we realized, hey, if we create four or five different setups, we're going to be unstoppable. And that was it. I never lost a fight anymore. I just suddenly, everything clicked for me. And I, I just started submitting people. I, I have no clue how to spot. You know what the, the major catal- uh, catalyst was? It was the dumbest thing ever. I don't know even how this is possible. So I'm I'm a mount position. I put the arm around somebody's neck, like a very stupid thing to do. And the guy reverses me. And right. then the guy on the bottom said, you know why I was able to reverse you, right? I go, why? He says, you didn't post out. You always need to have a post on one side. So if they roll you to this side, if your arm is around my neck and I trap the arm, I can push you to that side if I also c- catch your leg. Yeah. And I go like, and that was literally, I, it was, I was what? And that was it. And then I start submitting that guy. Everybody. I never I tapped twice in my life in training. And I walked with everybody. And one of the time was that I was so drunk the day before that I almost started choking on my own vomit. And that's why I tapped because I didn't need to tap. But you see what I mean? It just suddenly it clicked. That was it. And I I it's weird. It's very unstoppable suddenly.
1: You know what's what's amazing about that is the same thing, like that's kind of how I, I did it. Like I was with some guys who were a little bit like more guys. I had more guys, but like Jason guys and a couple other guys, and we would just sit down and we'd be like, How do you get out of the mount? And we practice we find our own way, we develop our own technique, and I think that way is so much better because when I go against a jiu-jitsu guy, I, I know what they're gonna do before they do it. They all do the same stuff. It's like A, B, C, I know that they don't know what I'm gonna do because nobody's seen it before and that's my style for my body type everybody else is a little bit different so i think that is the only way to really learn it that's how i did it and i people always tell me they go like man you're funky i don't know what you're i don't know how to stop you from what yep. you're gonna do but and i think that's exactly the same thing as, as what you did because you're different you yeah. do you do it different than they do we also
3: don't are not locked up, uh, locked up. Uh, this is my position always a uh, uh, chicken wing right a figure reverse figure four if you do it like this, everybody escapes. But every textbook will tell you to do it like this, 90 degree angle. They don't yeah. put the hand on, the back on their back, because if you do that, they cannot go out. Now, I didn't have to pay homage to a teacher. I said, no, that doesn't work. I'll do it like this, you see. And because we were able to break those things, that yeah you become better of course you become better like you said but the but the jiu-jitsu guy went for a mount position they roll the side they step over that's the moment i'm waiting for i'm just pushing them to the right at the moment they do that i mean come on dude it is so easy because they all did the same and they took yep. also the slow motion from the jiu-jitsu out like jujitsu without the gi it was not a lot of jujitsu without a gi at those times it was no. more with the gi and i, you, it, I heard a trainer say that his, all his students had to train with the Gi for MMA. I go, that's the dumbest thing there is because you're not going to, go to fight with the Gi. You see, that slowed everything down as well. Also, figure four setups, reverse figure fours. Nobody has a thumb around. Yeah. Everybody does this. It's because Jiu-Jitsu can hold the sleeve. All
0: right, so, so bass with open hand strikes and pancreas, well, I don't. I saw a bunch of your fights. I've never seen you like uh, poke an opponent in the eye, you know, with your fingers. But it's pretty commonplace in the UFC, even though it's closed fists.
3: W- what's your opinion on that? That's a, that is, they do it on purpose. <laughs> I mean, <it's> <laughs> if we're me in Pancras, fight with open hands, and we don't stab each other in the eyes, that that's all the proof, right? Yeah. I don't. I don't remember one fight getting stopped because they got poked in the eyes. Not right. one. And if I see a guy doing this constantly with the fingers in front of somebody's face, you're doing that on purpose. You know, I'm sorry, you do. And especially if the guy's a really good fighter who's completely in control, he should know that that is not a good thing to do. So, yeah, I think uh, many times that, that's on purpose. Why would you do it? Why else would
0: yeah. you do it? Yeah. All right, so, I mean, you were obviously from the hotbed of kickboxing, the world's hotbed of kickboxing, but you also talk about how you didn't – you would had to, like, really search for training partners. Did you ever spar with Ernesto Hoost or Deckers or any, any of the semi-show? No.
3: Show. Um, I, uh, Peter Ertz was a very close friend of mine. We you know each other since he was 14. So I sparred a lot with him. For Shakariki, I sparred a lot. I trained at Robin Deckers, Jim Meng Ho. Uh, so, yes, of course, I sparred with these guys as well. And everybody there, they're, they're great animals there. Yeah, no, no. It was good. But, you know, this is the thing. Like, when, when you see me Thai boxing in Holland – Yes, I won a lot of my knockout. I, I slaughtered everybody. But no, I, I was not fighting A-class fighters, right? And I was just destroying people. There was, you know, I was very technical. Somebody would hit me, and then it's like, okay, you're, now you're knocked out because I'm just going to do anything in my power. And thankfully for me, I had that power that I could do that. But if I would face a really tough guy and I had to go five more rounds, you know, that could be a trouble for me. So somehow, when I went to Japan, the very first fight, that's where I was completely different. I could not believe it when I saw myself after the fight. Like every fight, you see me Thai boxing when I hit somebody, it's like ah, you know, every every grip, in my face are animal, like an animal, animal. In Japan, it was dung, dung, dung. I was blocking punches. There was no emotion whatsoever. It was almost like I was completely in a different zone. I heard everybody, in his corner. I heard the people talking. You know, English speaking people on the first row. I could hear what they were saying. And I go, what is going on? And the way I was blocking and it came so natural, and I think it is because of the audience. Nobody says a word. I think that they understand that you are actually the professional fighter. You probably know it better than them. They don't need to tell you to tell me what I need to do. You see what I mean? And I think that gave me a lot of peace, and then suddenly when I got used to that, yeah, then it starts, I, then in Thai boxing, everything started become much better. Then I was completely in control, but in Holland, I was just a wild man with a lot of power. But technically... Yeah, uh, not in the fight. I was technical because his sparring with Peter Ertz, well, ask, ask these guys, I would do really well, trust me. But fighting, we all know that fighting and, and, and training are two completely different things, right? So and Peter had that already under control when he was like 15 years old. You know, it was for him to buy a bread somewhere or, or to go to a fight, it was the same thing for him. He was so calm and relaxed that that's why he was such an animal. He is still such an animal.
2: Yeah, now, I'm going to take you to the UFC. How did you get in contact with the UFC? Because uh, right there you were in a, a situation of change that uh, just basically in the last year uh, adopted John Peretti as their matchmaker, left, you know, Art Dave uh, behind. You had Joe Silva there who would be the future longtime matchmaker, kind of in an assistant role. Peretti was the guy that I give credit for finding you. How did that whole uh, – uh,
3: relationship uh, gel for you? Well, he, he came to Japan to watch me fight. And um, he was bringing two guys, uh, Were well, two brothers, two black brothers. I forgot their names now. But that's where he was with them. I remember that. And then after my fight, he just sat me down and says, hey, listen, I'm, uh, I would love you to have you in the UFC. And that's it. Boom. And then we became friends. And, and you guys said you wanted to talk about like the boss with the Invitational. That was the smartest move for me ever. Because what I did, I did the boss with the invitation, and I got John Peretti, the match the, of the UFC, as the referee. Dude, the referee. everybody wanted to fight on that show <laughs> because they knew that if, if he would do well, perform well in front of Peretti, he would get him into the UFC. So that was a shot in the gold, man. That was awesome. We had, we had uh, Jens Pulver and another guy, they, had to, they fought one time about four fights, 32 <laughs> man tournament. So it was crazy. It
1: was crazy. <laughs> like and thing
2: you know Joe and, uh, I, and, and, and i'm just talking about the altitude too because you did them in denver that's no joke you know it Those- was so
3: great you know what the craziest story is this is the i don't know if you ever saw this this is the best story from john peretti ever so he's the referee and uh, this this big overweight guy comes and he has to face uh, ron waterman so okay. john peretti walks over to ron waterman and he says listen you're going to demolish this guy. I don't want this guy to be hurt. Why don't you do me a favor? Take him down, hit him with a few shots, and then you're, before you're going to hit him real hard, I'm going to stop the fight because I don't want you to hurt the guy. The guy's just not good. So, Ron Mottermann does that. He shoots in, takes him down, sits on top, hits him a few times, and already pulls him off. And this guy on the bottom jumps up and like crazy in face. Yeah. <laughs> and then the trainer comes in and they start shouting at motherfucker!" the screaming, screaming, and he says, You gotta restart the fight. You gotta it restart did. the fight. And goes yeah. like, uh, you wanna restart? Yeah. He says, Okay, we'll restart the fight. And he walks over <laughs> to Waterman and he says, Do whatever you want to do. Right? So Waterman takes him down, he's slaughtering him. Now watch this. So while they're here. He's getting slaughtered behind him, and, and Baretti is looking in the audience like this. That's <laughs> to a pulp, right? And Baretti goes like this. Oh, 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 stop, stop. And then he walked over to the guy. And he walked over to the trainer, and he looked at the trainer, and I said, you did that. That's your fault, what you just did. <laughs> it was the craziest thing ever. Yeah, no, John, definitely,
2: I, you know, I look back at it, and the guy was a genius. He was way ahead of his time. I remember one of the things that he mentioned, that he said about you when he was bringing you to the UFC was uh, that you had a, basically like photographic muscles or something. that I forget the exact term it was, but you reminded me of it with your ability to catch on to submissions. Even with Thai boxing or, or uh, taekwondo where you started, you would really only have to practice a kick once, and then you kind of had it perfect. That was – kind of the idea of your, of your athleticism. Is that accurate? Because yeah, like, you're
3: gifted. I mean, that's a cool thing. He recognized that early on, right away. I bought my first degree karate black belt katas by learning from a book, pictures, watching at pictures, And I, I did a perfect, uh, a number five score, which is the highest score you can get. I never in karate or in taekwondo, I never had a four or four and a half. I only had fives. Um, that thing that came from how I get my fifth degree in Kyokushin, that was a gift from John Blooming, who unfortunately passed away. He was the highest gaijin, so to say, next to Mazoyama, who started Kyokushin Karate. And we were literally walking on the street in Japan. This is before a Pancras show. And we see, we hear hybrid Wrestling, Pancras. And we look at this, this giant screen, like a building is the whole screen. We're talking about 94, Mm -hmm. you know? And we go like, well, we've never seen anything like it. And the first thing we see is me knocking down the guy for my first opponent. And we go, whoa, oh, this is awesome. And there's this moment that uh, some fighter is sitting in half guard, and he grabs, goes for an inverted heel hook, and he falls back. And he wins the fight. And I'm standing there, and I look at John Bloomer, and I go, dude, that looked cool. I'm with, I got to remember that, you know? The next day, I'm in that position. But because I never did it before, I had no clue the amount of pressure. I broke his shin bone in half. <laughs> right. But... Oh. that's what when ron blooming gave me a gift as a fifth degree he said dude you saw that move yesterday on the big screen and today you win a fight with it one day later he said i've never seen anything like it so there, yeah that was kind of cool so, so now
2: peretti goes to japan he, he's looking for you now what were his plans because there, there's a lot of things that he could have done with you obviously you came in you fought kosaka that's a smart move because you know, the Japanese opponent that brings back your history and stuff like that and it gets your feet wet, and then, obviously, the Randleman fight. I saw both those fights live. I don't know if you remember me hanging around back in those days, but I was at both of those fights. And, uh, you know, you deserve a lot of credit for, the, for that stuff. But what were your – and then you hurt your neck. What were the plans afterwards? Because you had, you had Frank there, but Frank was sometimes hard to negotiate. Then Maurice Smith was there, which is an interesting fight. You've got – And Pedro Rizzo you, you had, Mike wanted, but I know he was a friend of yours, that, but, um, and then to me, Randy Couture. Randy Couture. Against yeah. Boss Rudin, that would have been, where was Peretti going? What were, what did you hear? What, what are the plans for you?
3: Uh, uh, Randy almost happened because in September I had a fight in Pancras and I told him, I said this, I will go for a submission because, you know, I got a fight in October against Randy Couture. Uh, and but then I found out, they said, oh, we give you an opponent that is just a, a new guy and uh, don't worry about too much. I said, because dude, I, I've never asked for an opponent, ever, you know." but I have a fight in the UFC next month. And then I found out, Guy Matzka tells me the day before the fight that this guy, they trained this guy for like, God knows how long. They actually made a whole comic. I have the comic about it in the gym and because after I knock out Funaki, they start training him to get revenge on me. But to me, they said, oh, it's going to be a normal fight. So at the moment I heard that, I go, okay, yeah, now I'm going to knock him out. I'm not going to go for a submission. I'm going to really do some damage there. So that was officially the setup to the Randy Couture. But then Randy Couture, at the time, he was working with those wrestlers who were also the, his managers, and there was a lot of things going on. They, Rico they were, Ciparelli, yeah. Yeah, it, it wasn't that Randy was afraid, trust me. He's not afraid of anybody. So, But it just the fight fell apart. And then I said, okay, they were going to fight for a uh, title. So I said, I want to fight Frank. You know, because then I'm going to be the first one in history who has a heavyweight title because which was 200 pounds and over. And I believe it was middleweight. They called the other one. Yeah. <laughs> 100, middleweight.
2: 200.
3: yeah and I was already I, I, I but I was fighting. I was 197. I literally had to drink water at the weigh in, in order to go over 200 pounds. So for me, it was an easy weight cut because I was already at that <laughs> weight. And um, and then Frank said, no, I don't want to do it uh so then uh then they said okay then frank uh, we're gonna put frank out but he's gonna fight against tito ortiz and then tito said okay uh that will be good but then frank said no 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 i'm the champion i'm gonna fight frank uh tito and once i beat tito i'm gonna fight boss and then so he beats tito but then after that he retired maybe also injuries he had at the time i don't know what it was but i would have really wanted that because my injuries were already very bad at the time but there was one more fight that I could do, you know, with all the pain that I had because, you know, I would be the first guy in history who does it. So that's was kind of my goal. But unfortunately, it uh, fell apart.
0: Okay. Now, uh, you, you've also had some pretty amazing students come from you. Dwayne Ludwig won. Also, another one is Sean Tompkins. I had yeah. the uh, pleasure of hanging out with Sean about a dozen times. And whenever, you know, he would introduce himself, it was, I am Boss Rutten's number one student. And you know he, he was he was a great guy. How did how
3: did you guys meet, and what were your thoughts of him as one of your students? Well, I met him in in Canada when I was uh, for uh, oh, a show in Edmonton. Mark uh, pa- Pavlovsky. Okay. Uh, we I we did a show for them, and I did a seminar there, and and, and he came to the seminar. Together with Benji Redek, I mean, uh, Black Brad, Brad Blackburn, I mean, all these guys. Just from the beginning, when they before the UFC, <coughs> those are Matt Hume guys. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of young guys. We're all young. And and, and they, they came to the seminar. And then after the seminar, uh, uh, Sean. Sean Tompkins. It, 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 um, he started asking me, hey, listen, man, I, uh, I really love the style, what you're doing. I, I, I love everything. Can, you, can I come and uh, train with you? I said, sure. You can come anytime you want. And I think uh, I shouldn't have said it like that because <laughs> Wednesday he was there. <laughs> I thought he's going to call me <laughs> he Wednesday he calls uh, I left there on Sunday and he says hey I'm here I said what do you mean I said well I need a place to stay I go not in my home dude I, you can sleep in the dojo yeah. and he says yeah, of course I don't care so he slept in the dojo for like five months I think and oh every day we train yeah and uh and every morning I would scream him awake on the on the phone for my house I would call him on the answering machine get your ass up <laughs> you know And uh, I just, we became really good uh, good friends, and he started picking up, and then he went on his own, and he started creating this great uh, Sean Tompkins team.
0: Yeah, yeah, he was a a legit coach. You know, there's a lot of people that can, that are poachers, and they take high-level talent, and they bring them into their gym. You know, what that guy did with his local Canadian fighters, I mean, is, is something that's incredible. No, I have a ton of respect for him. And Dwayne Ludwig as well, am I correct?
3: Oh, Dwayne is a huge uh, – uh, uh, one of my closest friends. I mean, uh, this guy is – he's the most sturdy guy, most straight shooter there is. Like, people say, oh, he did this, oh, he did this. But he never did anything. Like, the whole Alpha meal team, oh, they didn't say – he said from the moment they came in, he came in, he says, listen, I'm going to stay here for a year, year and a half max because eventually I want to go back to Colorado. That's where my family is, my mom and dad, everybody needs to be there for the kids. So, notice that this is going to happen. And suddenly when he did that, it was like – it, it was a shock to them, but no, it wasn't. I was there all the time with him. So that is Dwayne. Dwayne will say it right straight to you. If he doesn't like you also, he will tell you, I don't like you, move away here. I don't like you to stand here. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've seen him do that to people. You know, that's a guy, okay. hey, Dwayne, how are you doing? you know, I don't like you, move. You know, and he goes, but, but you know, I, I like guys like that because I know what I got on him. And yeah. he's the sturdiest guy. You know, I always say this, if I, would, if I would have a son, I wish he would be like him. That's how much I admire Dwayne.
1: Man, he, wow. he, I always felt like he was, like, never got the credit he deserved. He's super underrated for his Unreal. striking ability. He was so good. I mean, I can't remember one of those fights against Jonathan Goulet. He knocked him out in, like, five or six seconds. But, I mean, he was that good all the time. I, I don't know how he didn't get, you know, more accolades for it or, or more respect by, by the fights. But that's neither here nor there. Um, another question here for you is, is I man, when I was in Japan, when I was fighting for Penguins, I absolutely loved my time there. I can't imagine you – you were there way more than me. You were treated like a god there. I mean, it was almost like you probably had a second life there. Is that how you felt, like you had your life in America, you had your life in Japan? I mean, that was a big part of where you were, was it not?
3: It was. You know, it's, uh, you, know yeah, you start loving that, comp- uh, that country. The people are so nice. It's so safe there. You, know, you can bring your girlfriend, and she can walk over the street at home at night by herself. There's no way that something's going to uh, happen to her. Uh, her if you if you leave uh, your your wallet uh, say well you know this you leave your yeah. wallet at the restaurant you come home you say oh shit and all these fighters are freaking out and, and i always say i say dude it's la- it will lay it up the same spot nobody yeah. will steal it trust me <laughs> oh no no. but it's two hours ago i say 100 percent guarantee it lays at the same spot nobody will is it stolen it's stolen by a foreigner yeah <laughs> by a japanese person uh-huh. and that's what i like about japan you know and, and also i like it the people not you know, they respect you for who you are. They don't need to tell you do this, do this, do that. You know, they all here, they believe. You know, the weirdest thing is though, in Japan, I went, to, we had Aerosmith in the same hotel as us. So I, I, I saw these guys, I say, hey, listen, we're big fans. We, what about we, we come to your show, you can go, I, I'll get you first row tickets for the Pride event, right? And uh, that was for the Pride fighting championship. And uh, they said, oh, we cannot make it to the event, but you can come to our show. So we went to their show. We went to a rock concert. You know how they do that in Japan? <laughs> the first five rows are standing people the rest everybody sits in folding chairs (laughs) (laughs) the rock concert they sit up in the elevator (laughs) elevator. (laughs) I've never seen anything like it in the folding chair the whole place
2: no I can believe it. I can believe I'll tell you really fast one time I went to dinner in Japan and uh, I got in a cab to get back to the hotel and stuff and I fell asleep in the cab, and the cab driver put the heat on and waited for me half an hour to wake up outside of the hotel. Now, yep. try, try that in San Jose, Costa Rica. <laughs> you know what it is? Or New York. Or, or Rio <laughs> de Janeiro, you know? So, boss, I see you're wearing a Randleman shirt. Yeah. you know, let, Let's talk about that fight, because that's the UFC title fight. And yeah. like I said, I was at it, so I've got my impression. But I want to ask you about it, because, you know, there's some controversy. There's There are people, I know Kevin and Mark, think they won the fight yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so talk about was, that from your perspective I, I think i'm gonna fall on your side here because uh, i have my memories of it but i want to hear yours
3: first well i said it like this uh it was a 21 minute fight it was a 15 minute round two three minute overtimes right so let's say it's 21 minutes let's divide it in seven rounds seven rounds of three minutes he won the first one and a half round i won the rest of the rounds that's what I think. All his damage he did in the first one and a half round. After one and a half round, he literally stopped punching. I believe he, somebody counted he through 12 in the entire fight afterwards. And I was constantly attacking with the elbows. And Kevin and I have been talking about it as well. So uh, we have our own thoughts about it. Kevin is, a, is an animal, man. I, I He became a close friend of mine. I love this guy. And, uh, and we both, uh, and we always pl- played around with it. You know, if people would ask about us, uh, to us, Standing here about the fight, we will always get fake angry to the people. And what are you freaking talking about? And people get scared, you know, because he can act really well. <laughs> so, but we were always laughing at the people because it was just for fun. It's, uh, yeah, it was great. It was a great experience to be with him. But that's my reasoning. I always said, you know, yes, he took me down. But did you do anything with the takedown? That was it. If that's you would go to take out past the guard and start hitting me up, now you're doing something with the takedown. If you do the takedown because you don't understand, does the takedown count? You yeah. know, so that's that was my thought about
2: it. Yep, yeah, and I, I remember, and I, I wonder if you could confirm who were your corner men for that fight. Do you recall who was in your corner?
3: Uh, probably uh, Pedro Hizzo was still there, also. And Amir Peretz, Avi Rubin, uh, that were all the guys from the Beverly Hills Jiu Jitsu Club, Barco Huas. Okay, you know, okay, yeah, okay, terrific.
2: And that's where uh, Rizzo was in your corner. Rizzo obviously had a win over Mark Coleman, so there was like that team rivalry there and stuff like that, yeah. you know. Um, I, I remember you at, at about the four minute mark they stood you guys up and you got a chance to go back to your corner and i remember if i recall correctly you told them you said I, almost like, i think you said i can't he's too strong and then obviously you went back out and i think you landed a kick at it, about the four and a half minute mark right you know that it was the kind of sound like rocky when they, when he was hitting the beef
3: you know what I mean? It was that was, that you, was, yeah. that was that was Kevin Kevin told me that. He said that changed the fight, he said, also. Yeah, you um, shut him down after that. And then the knees yeah. from the guard, the knees to the face from the guard, nobody had seen that stuff before. I just came up with that for a week before the fight. If I would have had three weeks, I think I could have had him there because I was really working on that. I thought, man, this is a really cool move. You know what the nose was? This was a fun part because they never believed in the nose bone into the brain. It's a myth, you know. But then uh, a, a guy, and I believe it's on the day of the day before the fight, I don't know why this is popping up. He says suddenly, hey, boss, that nose thing, you know, you're right. It's a myth. But if your nose is already broke and then they hit it, it might shoot in your brain. Whatever reason he said that. So the next day I'm in the fight and my nose is broken. That's what the doctor says. Hey, are you... uh, do, do you want to continue? And I'm looking at Joe McCarthy. He wrote this in his book. I said, John, do you believe that thing that bone into the brain? He goes, no. I said, okay, I'll fight. You know <laughs> But I wanted to, because I'm not one of those guys who are all these, these guys who say, I'd rather die in the cage. Well, not me. I got a family that I love very much. You know, I like to live. You know, I don't like to die. So if there is a chance that it, you know, goes into my brain, yeah, I don't want to take the risk. But as soon as he said, no, 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 that's not true. Of course, then uh, that's when I said, let's do it.
0: It was pre-Google.
3: Yeah, thank God. Thank God.
2: <laughs> and I don't know if you remember, those are the old days of the UFC, you know. And after that, you, you've got the belt on, and you're in the cage, and there's people running around doing interviews. And uh, you're, you're standing in the cage with Bob Meyerowitz. And Randleman came back out, and he was throwing chairs and stuff like that. And you and Bob and – like, Bob kind of got out of there. <laughs> Talk about your memories of that, because obviously you said – you and Kevin are friends now, but on that day, they were very
3: mad. <laughs> they were very mad. And said, listen, I look bad. You know, my, my face was smashed in. So if you look at my face and his face, yeah, he needed stitches for his head everywhere from the elbows, but you can not tell. My face was beat in. I mean, he did a re- great job on me. So yeah, if you look at the faces, I lost that fight. You see, so it's understandable that they were angry. And, and I told uh, Bob Marriage also, I said, dude, it's okay. He won't be fighting. I, I can't tell a guy like that. No, he'll be angry, but he knows it's not my mistake. It's not like I bought over the, the referees. Nice. Inside, uh, <laughs> Randleman is still Randleman. And Kevin is a really freaking good guy, you know. He's just angry, you know. I would be angry at that situation as well. So, yeah, no, I never felt a personal thing also with them. even from Coleman. I remember we had to laugh so many times and they hated when I say it. It's like when they lift my arm as Coleman was behind he goes like, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> my friend I think he made a mammy out of it <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious he had to laugh so hard about that particular moment so yeah it was a, it was a crazy time I remember security came remember backstage because mm-hmm. he thought he was gonna break everything yeah that was fun. He, and he, he was just drawing just, chairs
2: uh, outside they were plastic chairs and I'm, I'm standing around with a camera and I turn around and he Grabbed the chair and threw He didn't even look at me. He passed by me, and he was screaming at Meyerowitz. I was like, man, I'm just glad I yeah. wasn't, like, another foot in that direction, you know? He
0: was throwing um, you. Think, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> so, now, you were – was the first time Peretti – because, you know, you again, this was the first time the UFC was doing things on a different level. Even two UFCs before Mark Coleman was the champion, and he was there – as the champion with no entourage, no friends, just one plane ticket, that kind of thing. Now, Peretti comes along. He took you to the UFC in Brazil, right? You, you went to Brazil to see that yeah. UFC. Was that the first time that he started wooing you for the UFC? Was that? And talk about your memories of that show, because I told a story on here where you stayed at Pedro Rizzo's house and you went on a party for about three or four days. <laughs> yeah. So talk about that
3: trip. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. It was when he fought um, Tank. Uh, Tank Abbott, you know. So, and of course, I was his training, partner, his training partner as well. So, we went over there to the UFC. Yeah, that was a crazy trip because I went to the city of God, you know. I mean, that is the place you shouldn't go. But, you know, of course, if you tell me I cannot go there, where do you think I want to go? You know, so uh, I went over there. And I had a great connection with all these people. Everything was great. I had a Hell's Angel with me. A, a buddy by Frank, from Holland, who was living there. And he was, he was, he was crazy. <laughs> and um, we were all crazy, but he was a special level crazy. And I remember we were like four or five in the morning and I said, okay, I got the reals, whatever they called the money there. I go, I got so, so much more. I said, what do you do? You want a cab or take one more beer? And he goes, so we'll look at Okay. that's one more beer. Then we'll figure out how we get home. So we get to drink one more beer. We go outside and now me the idiot, because I want to be nice up front. I walk to a cab driver and I said, Hey, listen, could you drive me home? The only thing is once I arrive, you know, uh, my friend was staying in the car. I ran up to get some money, and I think he misunderstood me, and I thought that he, I wanted to, to rob him or something. But something happened, and suddenly everybody started screaming. All these cab drivers start circling us, and it got very scary. Knives got pulled, and I go, oh, holy the crap! What is going on?" I go, "Dude, there's nothing going on. We're just telling you, you know." And uh, suddenly, I don't ask me how. Somehow, around the corner, Pedro Hizo came in his car, and he blasted through, opened the doors. We jump in the car. How he knew I was there, I don't know because I didn't tell anybody where I was. But apparently he figured, you know, let's go to the worst place possible. That's probably where <laughs> boss is going to be. And voila, that's where I was. It was great. I remember rats walking through. I remember going to the restroom and one of the waiters, the male waiters, came. And he was staring at my penis the whole time. and he, and, I'm just, and his head... Very very softly, he wanted to touch it. I I said, his head, go fuck, and he goes, oh, he pulled his head. And go, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a really crazy place. Yeah, yeah.
2: I remember. I remember. Uh, it was. I stayed for a week after the UFC. I remember, like, two days after the UFC, like talking to Pedro, and Pedro, like, uh, was saying, "Have you seen Boss? Like, he was legitimately worried. Like, he's like, we haven't seen the man at all." Um, yeah. So you you helped <laughs> him for Tank.
3: Huh.
2: You helped yeah. train him for the tank fight?
3: Yeah, 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 I did. Now,
2: now talk about the, what became your relationship with the California people because you also, uh, you know, trained Mark Kerr for fights, for his
3: MMA stuff. And oh, being, you know, I made Genki Pseudo also. A lot of people seem to forget that, you know. Genki was a wrestler. He didn't know one submission. He didn't know one punch, you know. And he came within three months when I lived <laughs> in the Peppel Hills Jiu-Jitsu uh, uh, Club and I trained there. He oh, found out true. he was a big fan. He came to America. And he started training with us i put him in his first fights i put him in i put him in pancras and that's how Genki sudo became Genki sudo so and carlos newton i've been training him for a long time uh, and then of course uh, mark kerr that was also uh, one that we had so yeah though no, we had we had some good guys coming And mark also was it was a really good learner you know and he listened and you know yeah needless to say <laughs> he was a freak on top of everything the guy was so freaking strong uh, forget about blood pressure being 185 over 160 or something. Like, <laughs> and I never he- even heard of those numbers. He would eat. Uh, he had a Ziploc bag with Snickers and M&Ms. What? And while he's waiting to go to the fight. Like literally, he's they're announcing him. He's eating the chocolate. And right. I go, dude, yeah, I don't need to tell you that you shouldn't do that. You know, <laughs> I get a rush out of it. I go, okay, but... You know, yeah. so, when Gen-
0: so when Genki Sudo fought uh, Dwayne Ludwig, did you make that match between those two? Did you have anything oh, to do with that? No,
3: no, and I told them both, I said, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to be in anybody of your corner because I can't, you know. I, 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 I know that I trained Dwayne at the end because he was training somewhere else where he really didn't like it. Uh, where he asked me before if it was a good gym. I said, well, he's got so-and-so fighter, so may I guess it. Uh, and then I found out he was he was really down and so I said, you know what, why don't you come the last 10 days, come to me, I'll get you in tune with the, but I, I don't want to talk with game plans, i just get you a shape that's the only thing I'm going to do and uh, I remember that the first sparring session, I think he hit him with 30 jabs I'm talking about a guy who's 155 pounds he shouldn't be able to do that, so yeah I called that person he was training with and I gave him not such a nice message let me tell you that, I was very <laughs> that. And they amended
0: me. a rule over that over that fight as well i thought genki kind of i think i don't know if it was a stall or it was a foul and they made him stand up even though genki was on top yeah, yeah genki kind of got shortchanged changed on that fight
3: yeah yeah a lot of people are talking about that those are the two fights like the Randall fight and then the, the with dwayne luther that's when they started uh, changing the rules with stand-ups and everything uh-huh. right yeah. So- yeah to tell you the truth i don't even remember anything from the fight i didn't even want to watch this fight because it's hard to watch if you get two students fighting
2: each other yeah absolutely absolutely now let me ask you a question you go you go back to japan and uh you had funaki there who's a pancreas legend you know along with suzuki the the guys from pancreas and he got you know at the time one of the biggest fights that anybody could want and i know they talked about you getting the fight against hicks and gracie so talk a little bit about that because now i think you know I don't know this, but I think in California you have to have run into Hicks and and kind of be friends with him, or or is that not the case? Talk about the fight first and how that, 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 you know, all went down, and, you
3: know, if you've run across him in California, how's that? No, nothing, nothing. You know, there's always a bit of misconception that I didn't like uh, Hickson and he didn't like me. And, you know, there were certain things that he said The Gracie's in general at the time, like him and Hoy said some things about Pancras. And of course, I retaliate when they say certain things, you know, I'm just defending my company. And, uh, and then I always said I really would like to fight Hickson, you know. And uh, I think actually John Peretti was there as well when I challenged Hickson because I was at the fight, my last fight for Pancras. And Hickson came to watch. And that's why I said, Hey, I know Hickson is here. I would like to find you any rules anytime. I don't care, whenever you want. I would love to do that. And it was never because I didn't like him. It was never. It was because he's such a phenom on the ground. I was just wanted to see if I can stop a submission game. That was really for me the reason to fight a guy like that. So, and we met many years later in China. We were both at the same show somewhere. I don't remember what show it was. And uh, he walked over where I had breakfast and he goes, Hey, man. I go, Hey. It's, and that was it. We, we said, how are you doing? I said, you know, it never was. He said, no, no, but you too, huh? Eh? I said, yeah, I know. I said, but everybody made it sound like we hated each other. And he says, no, no, I never had that. I said, good. Me neither. So uh, it's all good. So, yeah, that was my, uh, my meeting with Hickson. So completely good. So when they announced the, uh, the Masa Funaki fight, who were you rooting for? Who would you want to win? Of course, uh, Funaki, I wanted him to win. You know, that would have been great because at the time, you know, the Gracie's were such a big name. Can you imagine that the guy from Pancras will be the Hickson Gracie I mean, that would put Prankers on the map. Forget about that. We at least had six UFC champions. That's <laughs> right. I mean, think about it. It was such yeah. a small organization, but we all became UFC champions, a lot of them. So, you know, Prankers did something well. And truly, to, believe, uh, to tell you the truth, I believe it's always uh, in the ropescapes. And people go like, are you serious? Okay, yeah. But you know why? Because I have won 15 times by submission, I believe. But if you look at my record, I think it's 51 because if I had him in a submission and they touched the rope, I had to let him go. Now, normally the fight would stop, not in Pankos. You go back on your feet, there's your second fight. So all these guys had a lot of ring time, because, you know, you. first of all, if you want to submit him and you want to make sure he doesn't grab the rope, well, you're going to have to drag him. Now you got strategies come. you got to drag him to the center of the ring. Problem is there, if you miss an attempt and he's going to be on top, now you are not close to the UC. so it's a different strategy fighting. But I truly believe, that because every time when you submit somebody, you could touch the rope, but you have to restart on the feet again, there's your second fight. So I had like 51 fights if you look at the submissions, because every time I got back up, you know, so a lot of ring time gives you a lot of calmness. And then, uh, and I think that, that happened to everybody, and that's why we produce so many champions. Now, in turn, pancreas
2: at some point uh, with Funaki switched to. Basically, MMA rules from the open hand. Would you like to see them go back to the open hand, like you said? It changes the fight and very strategic. I think nowadays maybe the maybe the the world is ready for that. Do you
3: think? I think they do. Yeah, you know the thing is though. What I I don't like is the listen those those rules. You can say they, they were made for 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 the Japanese fighters, right? there are freedoms on the ground, you know, leg lock specialist. Hey, let's put them on shoes. Uh, <laughs> weird, 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 right. Okay. Shin guard. So the, the kicks don't uh, Oh, let's do open hand strikes. So we don't have gloves. We can slip, slip on the chokes and everything. It's easier with open hand because that's a big difference, Chris, you know, as well as I do try to choke somebody with an MMA glove. That's a whole different ball game than without an MMA. glove. <laughs> so, all these things, they were kind of adapted for them. When I left Bankers within three months, I think they did the unified rules. They like, uh, go, are you serious? Why didn't you do it when I was there? Like, I didn't <laughs> want to hit people with my closed face. Of course I wanted to do it, but you know what? I'm happy I did it. And I'm exactly with you right now. I think the world is ready for that. I think it's kind of cool, you know, to bring that old style back, even with the rope. escapes. Yeah, but it's not real, but it's not real. Of course it's real. It's a real submission. Normally I would have won, but now the fights restarted can you even for me. It's a different game. You know, it's not the MMA rules, but it's MMA rules, but a different game. So yeah, I think it uh, could be cool. The fighters will be longer. That's why probably it's all invented. You know, they do you know that uh, pro wrestling came together because it was real fighting in the beginning, and and the fights were like three minutes every fight. Bong bong bong. People yes. were out the door within an hour. At <laughs> like twelve fights, and they go like, "Dude, this is not good. We're not going to keep people if they don't see anything." Oh, we got to come up with something. And Then they start like, "Hey, what else? If you lose there, we go to you." And they start. Making the matches, so to say, and that's what suddenly pro wrestling became big. Now, uh, Pancras was kind of like pro wrestling. Oh, it was real. Sure, all these guys who, who uh, all their losses were fake, but all the wins were real. I get. Come on, do it. I'd be honest here. You know, it's, I mean, when you start saying that to me, I do it. Oh, so, so all your wins were real. <clears throat> But then there, there were suddenly losses. Nobody asked me. Can I put me on a lie detector at test. I asked Frank Sherman, Guy Metzger, every single person, did they ever ask you to lose? None of them said yes. And then, of course, you have guys like, yeah, but you don't know that. The guy will probably be instructed to lose you. Uh, to lose, like, uh, uh, funaki against me. Yeah, he let you win for the title. I go, really? I go, okay. When did he decide that? I go, what do you mean? I, said, I don't know if you saw him heel hooking me. I don't know if you saw when my foot, my heel, was here on the other side, in his neck, like reverse. I'm looking at my own leg and I go, I have no clue, but I'm not feeling it. My mind as well keep on fighting. When did he decide it? Because that was a very dangerous moment. <laughs> I could have lost the fight there. You see what I mean? Uh-huh. It's people, once they start with the conspiracy theories, sure. And then they say, yeah, but the Japanese guys, when they're on the ground, they're rolling. So, do you know how Japanese roll those guys? That's what they do. That's how their that rolling is. Like when uh, Sakuraba came here, I clean him up. And I go like, that's Sakuraba. And then somebody told me, no, 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 that's not how you roll it. He gives you the arm. And you have to take it. And then you, you, know, you let him escape. And so there's a flow going on. I go, oh, okay. you know, And then I start doing that as well. So if these guys are training among each other all the time like that, yeah, it's going to look very fluid. Of course it's going to look very fluid. Yeah, the, I mean? so that's the way they
2: train. Who's the guy you fought the most over in Pancrase? Uh, like of uh, the old guys, like.
3: Uh, De I fought him three times. I okay. think he's, he's the only guy I fought three times. I think. Okay. Uh,
1: Chris fought De Lucia. Yeah. So yeah. It was, pretty- yeah it was, uh, it was A <laughs> good, good start. He was ranked pretty high, but. Um, so so so, boss. When you were over in Japan, you're kind of you got you're kind of a legendary partyer over there. I mean, you have got a lot of great, great partying stories from going out to Rapungi and everything. Can you think of any uh any that stand out right away that you can think like do you care to share with us? I mean, I'm sure there's probably some you don't want to share, but uh anything you can think of that would give some people <laughs> a, a good like a lot of people have never been to Rapungi. Every time we ever fought there, afterwards people go, "We're going to Rapunji." You go out there and the subway quick. you're out there all night, just a lot of fun. Uh, you got any good stories? stories you can, you can share with us
3: oh we got a whole yeah we got a bunch of stories oh man uh i don't know i think i was these three navy seals i had a fight against they stopped pushing all these little japanese people on the side and i told the fighters there was a motown the bar motown yeah and they came storming. and i saw people flying left to right and i look at the guys and say, so check this out and the only thing i did was standing in their way just like acting like, a, a sure enough, of course, they pushed me really hard. Say, Come on, guys, you can do this. We want to go, and that seals to it. But we're not seals. Listen, I trained the seals. They're, these guys were not seals; completely yeah. fake. And uh, seals would never do that. Yeah. Um, and they, uh, and then I remember, a guy came over, and guy told the guy, um, he says, "Listen, we're all professional fighters. I don't give a shit." He said, "No, no, no. Just hear me out." He says, "And for <laughs> all of us, you, I think you picked the worst one. So don't go with that guy. Oh, you want to go outside?" The guy started to me. I said. No, what? I go outside with all three of you. And he go look at me. I say all three. Why don't I fight you all three? So I went outside. I decked the first two really fast. And then the third one, he attacked me. And then I, I put him in an armbar first because now it was requests, right? The, 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 <laughs> the armbar. So I go to armbar. And the guy's screaming. I say, are you letting go now? He said, yeah. So I let go of the armbar. He jumps on me again. So I roll him into a knee bar. And I'm almost hyperextending, but I figured, you know, I'm not gonna get drunk, I'm not gonna really hurt him. So he's screaming, screaming, screaming. I said, do you let it go, do you let it go? And uh, he, he said, I, I don't want anything more. So I let him go, and then he jumped on me again. And then everybody goes like, just choke him out, boss. <laughs> so I choked him out. And then, uh, we, I, I believe we pulled his pants down, you know. And thankfully, there was no cameras yet, because otherwise it would be uh, a nice uh, little moment on Facebook. But there was <laughs> another guy that was there also, that was constantly starring, uh, again, against Guy. And it was one of those flashy black guys in this smooth uh, satin clothes. And he was like flicking like kicks in the air the whole time. And guys look at this challenging guy. And I go, guy, I just, you know, just get rid of the guy. He said, yeah, what do I do? I said, I don't know. Just just get rid of him. You know, and the guy's flicking kicks. And he, he said, yeah, but I don't want to hurt him. I go, yeah, just, just choke him out. You know, And the guy shoots in, whoop, takes him down, chokes him out. And off we went to another uh, to get some beers. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> some so people, they live in a whole different world. They truly believe. You know, it's like when I go to um, Shaquille O'Neal, right? And I say, hey, I'm going to shoot hoops with him. Who do you think is going to win? And I all start laughing. Yeah, because I will never win. I say, well, that's about the same as you want to fight me. <laughs> because yeah. we've been doing that our whole lives. Why do you think that you can win this? Sure, it can be a lucky punch, but not a sucker punch. It's going to be very hard to fight any pro. Any, any, try to fight the girls that we have right now in MMA. They slaughter you. I mean, the yeah. regular guy on the street have no chance against these ladies. So, Bass, so, so
0: <laughs> the, one, the one question that we always ask the old school guys if Mark Kerr and Mark Coleman ever met in a fight, pride, who do you think would have won?
3: Yeah, um, they, it depends. Um, I gotta say like this if we see the Mark Coleman. That uh, showed up in 2000, training with Pat Militich and, and and became rejuvenated. That was a very dangerous Mark Coleman. That's when uh, Pat really put the screws on, him, and I think that was a very smart thing from uh, from Coleman to do, to go to Pat Miletich because he put the ringer on him and he trained him really hard. He was in great shape, and that's why he won the whole freaking tournament. But you know, in the beginning, man, you know, I mean, when 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 uh, Kerr just came to. Right. i mean it was just a phenom also i don't know stamina wise i would say that's why I, normally i would have said curve because stamina was in this one big thing with me i put curl on the, on the scale and i said let's say you're 230 pounds if you get 230 31 i stop training you and he goes why i said because you cannot gain weight with my training we don't do weights we don't do anything you can only lose weight so if you gain weight that's not i'm knowing you're using something and then this whole thing is going to be over you know, so, and he always stayed under that weight. He was always sweating a lot, which always thought it was real. But then I found out later that I was the freaking new pain that he was <laughs> doing, you know. No, I, I told him because he, he shot me up one time. It was like, I was at the end of my life. I had the tendonitis already started, right? So that stopped my career. And it's, it's not tendonitis. It's called something else. It's in your tendons. It's inside your arm and both other sides. And if I, for instance, hit the back really hard, I feel like, like tick, I feel just that. And once I feel that, I go, oh, dude, I'm screwed. In 45 minutes, I think you can put the clock on it. I'm being paid for like two, two and a half hours. Insane pain. And there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can take. And especially if you're fighting, there's nothing you can take. And I was training Mark Kerr and Marco Huas in Japan. And suddenly I go like, dude, we got to go to the hospital. I'm, I'm tears out of my eyes from the pain. I'm still, I'm, I'm, I, I got to do something. And Mark says, let's all pack our stuff. He says, don't worry, I got something for you. And I, at this moment, I didn't care about anything anymore. And I remember walking in this room and he loads up a syringe and me not even going like that. I go, whatever, because I just got to handle it. And I remember him putting a needle in me and he looks at me and he says, within five seconds, your pain is gone. And he shoots it and he goes, and that's, I start sweating. And that's when I said, oh, now I know why you're sweating the whole time. You know, my, my evening was ruined. We had to go to a restaurant. I, I couldn't eat. I was so sick because the stuff so messed me up. But guess what? My pain was gone. And I remember asking myself, how can you fight on this? I mean, I was like a freaking plant. He says, no, you get used to that. And then uh, you simply can't do it. It's really weird. Yeah. So, but that's how I found out why he, was always, why he was always sweating. Because once I started sweating, I realized, oh, now I know why you're sweating.
1: Wow. Yeah. he was he was the only thing is
3: because he, he he did the smashing machine and he told the whole world otherwise i would have never said that of course
2: yeah of course uh, yeah I, I i got to judge i was a judge for the abu dhabi so i got to i got to know mark and i got to see him compete there and i got to see him at the top of his game and then when he started slipping and, and he lost it i think it was very obvious
3: he's always been a very human person too
2: you know yeah, what i mean very so,
3: nice guy for a good guy, man, it's like he will help you with everything. You know, I mean, this is the only guy I got. <laughs> he will be two, two and a half hours on the phone with his wife. I go, who, what guy? <laughs> for two and a half hours every freaking day on the phone with his wife. I go, wow, good for you, buddy. You know, so <laughs> that's the guy he is. Is it's just a, it's just a good guy.
0: He's a talker. Yeah, he knows how to communicate really well. I agree. Yeah. Cool.
1: What? Chris, you you want to go, Chris? Yeah, I was gonna say we've taken enough of a boss's time, man. I gotta say, boss, it's been quite an honor. I really appreciate you taking the time for us. Um, definitely, we've all looked up to you for a long time, and, and just having you on here and, and talking with us, I loved it. And all the questions uh, you were able to answer for us, I really appreciate your time, and I can't wait to see you here in a couple of days.
3: Good, good to see you again, uh, Chris. Man, you're a freaking scrapper, man. I always love watching you fight. You're, uh, I love, I love guys who just. Whatever happens is going to be a freaking brawl, you know. And I, I love that. I have the utmost respect for that. So yeah, man, always. So thank you very much, and thank all of you guys. Had a great time. We can always do it again. You just let me know, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks, boss. Great to catch up. Thank you guys. Thank you. <laughs>